And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our uh, program this morning here on West Limerick 102. My name is Shane Ambrose, and I'm still joined in studio this morning by John Keeley here on Sacred Space 102, a Come and See production brain broadcast here on West Limerick 102. And we are delighted this morning to welcome to the program, uh, I think, John, for us, it's a first. Um, it's, we're delighted to welcome to the program this morning, Christine Hochter. Good morning, Christine. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Now, I'm, we're I'm delighted to be here. Perfect. Thank you. We're delighted to have Christine on this morning because, Christine, you have what some people might regard as rather an unusual job. You are the chaplain to the prison in Limerick City. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I am one of the chaplains. There is two of us there. Um, I'm a, a lay person and the other chaplain is Father Michael Kelleher from the Redemptress um, Order. So, um, in terms of, is it an, an unusual position? I suppose, as you said, yes, some people would regard it as, as unusual. I suppose for myself, I don't regard it as quite unusual, but um, um, I suppose because there are about uh, 12, 13 prisons uh, across Ireland, and out of those, there are about 20 chaplains. And of those 20 chaplains, 10 would be lay women like myself. Um, there would be about four lay men and five clergy and one nun. So the majority of us would be um, lay people. Oh, right. Very interesting. I hadn't, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't realised that myself. And I suppose, um, I suppose, as, but before we kind of get into the ins and outs of, of, of what you do, I suppose, to kind of to share that experience with our listeners this morning, I suppose, can you give us just, I suppose, you know, for many people in Limerick, I suppose the prison is that big hulking grey building at the top of William Street or that part of the city there. And I suppose for many people, for many people, they may not have an encounter with the prison or with the prison staff or maybe with people that are inmates of the prison. So kind of what's, what, what is Limerick Prison like in, in 2020? Well, as you said, it is this big grey building and many people pass it every day. And in, in hindsight, when the prison was first built um, 200 years ago, it would have been seen as a building of austerity. The whole idea is that people would have passed it by in the last 200 years. Um, with the view of wanting never to be go inside the prison walls because it was seen as a deterrent um, to commit any crime because it was so kind of grey and bleak. So moving on to where we are in 2020, um, behind the prison walls, you have approximately 250 prisoners. Of those 250, 220 roughly would be male, men and about 25, 30 would be female prisoners. Okay. And there would be approximately maybe 180 um, staff um, behind the walls. Um, I suppose uh, Limerick Prison would cater for men and women from the Munster area, predominantly Limerick, Clare, Tipperary, um, and obviously other parts of Munster, um, especially because for the female uh, prisoners, 
they are would predominantly come from them all of Munster, including maybe from Wexford to to Kerry, you know the way. So whereas mm-hmm. the men can come from maybe different parts, um, sometimes maybe into Offaly or whatever, but and there would be movement between different prisons at times. So sometimes we might have prisoners from Dublin mm-hmm. um, or from the Midlands. But especially for the, the women, especially they would, um, the Limerick caters for um, women from the Munster area. Okay. So that's, that's, that's kind of like the, the if you like, uh, do you, would you call it the prison population? It's kind of a strange way to put it. Um, um, we would, I would call it, it's a community. Um, okay. if I would see it as um, a village with mm-hmm. a roof over it. Um, it's the best way to describe it. Uh, because, you know, we are a community and everyone is there for a reason and we we just try and, um, I suppose, do, you know, fulfil our roles, whatever those roles may be. Okay. I, that's actually, it's an, that is, you know something, that's a very interesting way of putting it, Christine, the idea that it is, of course, it is a community. Uh, it is a community within the city itself, just like any other, if you like, as you said, any other neighborhood, a, a community with a roof on. I like that way of, I like that way of expressing it, I have to say. And I suppose it does, it does bring it across very well. So <clears throat> your role, of course, you're, you're one of the chaplains at the prison. So I suppose people would kind of ask the question, well, what does a chaplain do? Because I suppose for some people, I suppose the concept of chaplain might be very much linked with a kind of a clerical understanding of the role, maybe from a Catholic point of view, it might be very much linked in with the sacraments. So I suppose, what in what what does a chaplain do in 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 that community today? Well, I suppose a, a chaplain in general, um, because we sometimes meet chaplains in a, a hospital environment, in schools, in um, maybe like a, a there's army chaplains. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in a prison environment, really, as in any of the, of the other institutions, the role of a chaplain really is to be a presence and I suppose to be like a Christ-like presence um, with the people that you meet. And I suppose as, as a chaplain in a prison environment, my role as the same probably with, with, with Father Michael would be that we meet people where they're at um, because anybody can end up in prison so you would meet people who it could be their first time in prison and then you might meet the next person it could be their 20th time or 50th time in prison Mm -hmm. but our role really is to meet people where they're at and I suppose to provide a spiritual pastoral support uh, to people of all faiths and none Mm. and to to be that comforting and supportive presence within the prison walls Um, because it is it is a difficult environment for many people. I mean, people end up in prison um, as a punishment. You know, the the courts have decided that is where they have to be, whether that might be just for a few weeks, a few months, or maybe a few years. Um, but being within prison walls, your freedom is taken away from you, and that is the punishment. So you come to prison as a punishment. You don't come for a punishment. Um, the punishment is that your freedom is taken away. Mm. So all the choices we may we take for granted every day um, are taken away. So everything is controlled 
Um, like in a prison, you know, there are no watches, there are no clocks, uh, because there is no need to know what time it is because all of that is taken away from you, um, you know, from a prisoner's point of view. Mm. And in terms of, I suppose, in terms of being that presence um, to the prisoners, we, you know, we, we, we can talk about the, the the things that happen in the prison itself, but does that also involve kind of, I suppose, um, an interaction maybe with the families of the prisoners as well? Um, in, indeed, um, our role, because we would be the neutral people within the prison, because you can imagine you have um, governors who are the managerial mm-hmm. um, people in the prison. So they will say that they're the people who wear the suits um, and then you will have officers in uniform and the officers would be in charge of the day to day running of the prison. And whereas myself and Father Michael are the neutral people. And um, so in terms of we're the ones that we're, we're, I suppose the best way of describing it is that we're the link between the inside to the outside community and vice versa. So that's why when people phone into the prison, um, especially in relation to wondering how their son or daughter are doing, um, they're directed straight away to the chaplaincy uh, because we're the ones who have access to wings and landings. And I mean, we walk the w- wings and landings um, and, you know, we, we meet the prisoners every day. Um, mm-hmm. So we're the ones that would have that neutral presence and would be in, in the position to phone families back and to offer reassure, reassurance and um, support as well. And in terms of, um, I suppose, in terms of, in terms of that interaction with the prisoners, I suppose, when you're dealing with any community, I suppose one of the things that you can learn, um, you know, when you when you when, you, when you're in a position of that, like what you're in, is that you can have encounters, I suppose, with people and encounters with their faith. Um, so I was just wondering, a kind of, from, from, from you know, can is there things that you can share with us in terms of maybe some of the faith activities undertaken in the prison, or maybe the expressions of faith from from um, people within the prison uh, community that you have come across. <clears throat> Well, I suppose in terms of like organized um, activities or faith activities, um, there there wouldn't be any set um, courses or faith programs um, being run at the moment um, because logistically that would be very difficult um, to organize. But I know that, um, you know, if we wanted or if there was a need or a demand, we would we would have the contact details of maybe external uh, faith groups or something, uh, if if that was what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we could maybe organize something, um, but logistically would be quite tricky because it is a prison environment and um, um, it, it just logistically would be a little bit tricky to um, organize external people to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, but faith in general is, it's quite an interesting thing um, because obviously we have a chapel, which is part of the 200 year old uh, building. And um, so it is, a, the chapel is 200 years old. So it's a small space. It's a very special place. 
and obviously there is mass for the for the men to attend and for the women to attend um, on Sundays. Um, but in terms of faith or how prisoners express their faith, there is something about, I think, the symbols, um, the symbols of rosary beads, and the plastic bracelets that you can purchase. Um, sometimes you see them um, in various religious shops, um, with bracelets with the pictures of saints on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we provide things like that for the prisoners. Uh, they, it, it's, they like um, holy pictures, um, prayer cards, um, even just lighting a candle in the chapel um, or the imagery of Our Lady. So, for example, when um, the, when the Redemptorists bring the Novena into the prison, that's been happening for the last three years now, and it's wonderful um, during the nine days, is there's something symbolic of even the image of Our Lady Perpetual Help, and people can identify with the image. And so I think faith is expressed in different ways, um, not everyone can attend mass, but there is a huge personal faith mm. and a huge trust in things like a rosary beads, um, holy water, or picture prayer cards um, would be very much, um, you know, requested by a lot of the prisoners. Okay, okay, <clears throat> and in terms of. Um... Uh, in terms of, I suppose, the prison community as well. Um, obviously, you work with the, with the with the with the with the prisoners themselves, and as you said, you're you're some of the outreach in terms of their family. But I presume then also that means you're also um, you're you're also presence there as well for the prison staff, the, oh, the, the, the wardens and the and the managerial team. Yes, I, I personally would regard that as um, being very important as well. Um, I suppose because we're, we're seen as prison chaplains, we're not prisoner chaplains. Mm-hmm. So to us, the the whole community, the staff are very important because we work with the staff and uh, every day and we need their help and cooperation because because we have access to the wings and the landings and we have a lot of one-to-one contact with many of the prisoners, we, we can't just do that on our own. We need, obviously, um, the presence of officers nearby um, because we have to respect it is a prison environment and we have to respect the security and respect the job that they have to do. So we would be there for them and you know, it's important that we recognize that. And I mean, we help them in whatever way we can or assist them. So sometimes it could literally be just, you know, just sitting down and having a chat or having a cup of coffee with some of the officers or maybe just just linking in. And I suppose that's what we do all the time. We're just trying to link in all the time because um, everyone is so busy. Um, there's a lot to be said for just sometimes listening to people and, you know, just hearing their story or hearing what's going on in their lives or because everyone is experiencing something um, going on. It could be just that there's a relative who's sick. Um, maybe somebody's just had a, a baby. So it's important to try and recognize that and just, you know, to acknowledge that. Um 
in terms of in terms of the 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 I suppose the the your experience of your 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 work in in, in the prison community, um, I suppose one of the things that struck myself and John when we were we were discussing about you know having having you on to share this about the, about the about about the work that you do, and we were just wondering you know for you yourself is there any moments that particularly stand out for you, when perhaps they were like. Um, you know, a Tabor moment, like a, a moment when you could see or say there perhaps was the touch of God in, in that experience or in that person's life or in, in, in that in that in a way that you could share that with us. Or if, is there something that maybe could strike you that you could share with our listeners this morning? Oh, gosh, um, I think there's plenty of um, different. Um, oh, gosh, there's there's so many I'm trying to think of. There, I, I remember one in particular. Um, I think I had just started um, uh, in my role as chaplain. And when I had first started, I was on my own. Um, so I'm chaplain there about three and a half years now. And originally I was on my own for a year and a half. And then Father Michael joined um, and then we became a chaplaincy team. And when I was on my own, I remember I there was a prisoner, a male prisoner in particular, and there had been a death in the family, and he was unable for um, for various reasons. He was unable to attend um, the the funeral home, which was the only thing he would have been allowed to attend. And he was very upset uh, for various reasons, and was a close member of his family. So. Uh, between different things, I'd spent a lot of time with him and um, I spoke to him and he was happy that I went to the funeral, the funeral mass. And because it was geographically, we'll say within 10 miles of the prison, so it was within the outskirts of Limerick, um, I was able to attend and I did so. And um, I think what was most touching is that I came back and I sat down with him again and I explained everything that happened at the funeral and I had the funeral booklet and I read the booklet with him because this man in particular, he had he couldn't read or write. And it was my first encounter with somebody who had um, had literacy issues to that extent. And it was just that moment of where it's just the two of us um, going through the mass booklet. And I'll always remember he asked me, what was placed on the coffin in in the church and I explained everything to him but it was just one of those moments where I just thought oh my gosh I'm actually getting emotional thinking about it um because it was at that moment and I thought oh gosh this is what chaplaincy is about mm. um just to make that connection because then when he was able to speak to his family later on he was able to say oh I know what was what hymns were sung I know what was on the coffin um, I got the booklet um, and it just made it easier for him and it also made it easier for his family because I met his family at the funeral. So they knew that I was there, not instead of him, but I was there, just that link, you know, so I was able then, they knew I was able to go back to him straight away and refer everything back to him and it meant a lot for them. So I think that was one of those moments where I could just see the power, of, I suppose, of the spirit working. Mm. That's that. I have to, that's 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 that. I have to say, Christina, that is lovely. Uh, that's a that. Thank you for sharing that with us and sharing that with our listeners this morning. We'd love to keep going, I'm afraid, but unfortunately, <laughs> um, 
time is against us on the radio program this morning. Uh, so, Christine, thank you so much for coming on with us this morning and sharing uh, some of your experiences and some of what it is to be chaplain to the, the prison community, in as, as, as you said yourself, in Limerick City. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on the program this morning. Now, to close this part of the program, you had made a suggestion for us in terms of a piece of music. Would you like to tell us what that is? Yes, I did think about this and I went for Amazing Grace, I suppose, because for many it would be seen as um, nearly a prisoner's national anthem in some ways, because it is one of those very poignant, very moving um, pieces of music. And I think it's just that um, the fact the story behind it, um, that uh, it was written in the late 1700s um, by John Newton, and he was a man who was involved in the slave trade and he, he used to be involved in the shipping. So he used to be on the ships bringing slaves over and back. And he almost had a near-death experience because he was involved in a violent storm on a ship and he thought he was going to die and he looked for God's forgiveness. And I suppose it's this is why the hymn is very much about mercy and redemption. And he obviously survived the storm and he later then became a, a preacher or a pastor in London and then went on to be involved in abolishing the slave trade. So it was almost like it, it's just he, he went full circle. And I, I just think it's just a, a lovely hymn. And it's we often sing it um, or, you know, in, in the prison chapel. And it's just very moving, um, especially when the prisoners um sing along with it so it's it's just it's a very special hymn and i think it would be very appropriate okay thank you very much christina that's what we'll have now to close out this part of the program amazing grace one of the world's most moving hymns was written by a former slave trader john newton who said i hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that i was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. He poured the deep remorse for his sins into music and wrote the haunting spiritual classic, Amazing Grace. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Judy Collins with the Boys Choir of Harlem under the direction of their founder and director, Mr. Walter J. Turnbull. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found.
That's it.